Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour. It is Wednesday, the 31st of August. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, Carl Capalinga from Think Markets and Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Guys, welcome to both of you. A uh, bit of a down day on the market today. We've seen uh, three straight sessions of losses uh, on Wall Street. Uh, Carl, I might actually start with you. What are you seeing on the, on the local market? We've got a chart. We'll bring up the ASX 200. Um, what trends are you seeing? Good afternoon, Andrew. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tricky one. As you said, three straight down sessions in the US, but the Aussie market sort of hang, hanging in there and surprisingly strong. Maybe it's something to do with end of month. Maybe we'll get the real ASX standing up uh, from 1st of September. Who knows? I'm look. I've been pretty bearish over the last few months, and I've been bearish and wrong because of that uh, rally from those June lows. Uh, so I'm going to uh, put the bear cap back on and say that we are rejecting that long-term trend zone. It's the sort of the pink zone there. You can see 71.38, 71.30 hovering above and around. Bit of volatility. Market's unsure. The key support level is that 69.85 to 69.18. So I've, I've colour labelled it for you. Green zone equals demand, and the the pink zones are, are, are supply. Um, if we crack through 69.18, I think it could get pretty ugly. 67.64 is the next target. There's just this. I've just got this nagging feeling, Andrew. It's just ebbing away at me for mm. the last few months that the macroeconomic picture is deteriorating, and yet stocks have rallied. Uh, too far. That's my opinion. So I think there's a bit of catch up to come. Sounds a little bit more like gut over head at it this is. point, but um, still, you're taking a look at the charts. That's what it's telling you. Fair enough. Um, Michael, do you, are you sort of retreating back into the cave at this point? Yeah, we've been pretty cautious um, for the last few months. Um, the rally has taken us by surprise. But when you look at the ASX at the moment, on the face of it, ostensibly, it doesn't look that expensive, trading at about 13 or 14 times earnings. Uh, the longer term average is closer to 15. But if you strip out the miners and, and you strip out the banks, that average P jumps to about 20. So the market's still not cheap, particularly when you've got a scenario where we've seen through the reporting season, a lot of um, analysts are coming out and downgrading earnings expectations for 2023, 24, etc. So you can ex if you expect the E to come off, that means the PEs are kind of expanding, looking one year forward. Um, so prices potentially have to come down to try and make the market look a little bit more attractive. But broadly speaking, we're very cautious on what's playing out overseas with the inflation story and the rates story. Um, and we'll be very, very surprised if markets just continue their recovery back to the highs that we saw six, 12 months ago. Um, given the backdrop, I just think that's very unlikely. But the market can prove you wrong. So, <laughs> so you, yeah, I'm always hesitant um, oh. trying to predict the ASX direction, just given how reliant it is on those two sectors. You kind of got to predict yeah. what banks are going to do and what miners are going to do. 
Um, yeah. But looking at iron ore price, for instance, that's come under pressure. So there are reasons for our market to pull back, looking at a number of different factors. Yeah, and I guess just, that, just sorry, Carl, guys. Just a quick yeah, yeah, quick comment. Look, I mean, Michael's hit the nail on head, and and you know, people like Michael and I that look at the markets, do the analysis, we we tend to be a bit bearish based upon the macro picture. Mm. And I've heard this rally called a hated rally. It's been labelled that because a lot of us us supposedly intelligent market commentators have this bearish feeling and yet stock prices have gone up and we kind of hate it. We kind of despise this rally. But I tell you what, demand is greater than supply and yeah. somebody is buying. My theory is, you know, it's a lot about fund flows. It's a lot about this, just a pile of cash. It still needs to go in the market every day. If you think about Australian uh, superation guarantee money, just hitting those coffers every time we get paid. Um, and it's the active fund managers, the ones that will uh, sell or go short. We're waiting for them to make the next move. Mm. Um, are they going to back this this uh, bull this well fledgling rally and push us to the new highs, or are they going to start selling again and push back towards those lows and overwhelm some of that passive uh, money coming in? It's a very very interesting time at the moment. Yeah, in fact, we even had Fed member Neil Kashkari coming out in the last couple of days saying he wasn't impressed with that rally he's seen on equities. So interesting that actually <laughs> referring specifically yep. to what's going on with equities, given how it's responding to those uh, moves by the Fed. All right. Let's get into it. The first five stocks we're going to cover on the show, Fortescue, AUB Group, Arden Leisure, the L1 Long Short Fund and Comet Ridge. Our stock of the day, we're just at the tail end of reporting season. Today, Harvey Norman uh, pointing to COVID lockdowns for the decline in its full year headline numbers as net profits fell 3.6%, earnings slipping uh, 1.4% and it's uh, paying a final fully frank dividend of 17.5 cents a share. Looking ahead, it's saying it's uh, looking to expand its domestic network, as well as opening stores in New Zealand, Malaysia and Croatia. Uh, Shares dipping into the red this morning, down uh, more than 2%. So, Michael, um, what's your view? In fact, uh, the company goes on to say that it's looking, it's saying that low low unemployment rate and high household savings levels are underpinning a solid start to the year. So how's that year looking for you? Well, that's what's been in the past. I think yeah, we've got right. to try and uh, try and predict, I suppose, what's going to happen going forward. And I think in the case of Harvey Norman, like many of these different retailers, the worst may yet to be may still be to become. Um, basically, we haven't really seen the impact of higher rates flow through to unemployment yet. A lot of um, a lot of customers have had their savings rate boosted up by um, by government handouts and whatnot. So that's starting to dwindle, those savings rates. You would expect there to be some pressure coming on the domestic economy um, once those interest rates continue to ratchet up and affect um, borrowers in particular. Um, so we are cautious on the outlook. Harvey Norman, it's by no means the worst business in the world. It's been a pretty steady performer for a long period of time. But what you're seeing in the numbers at the moment, revenue was slightly up, but profits were down. That's indicating that margins are worsening. Uh, and that's not unexpected. You know, if people are under a bit more financial pressure or don't have as much disposable income, then mm. they're still going to go to Harvey Norman and update the fridge if it breaks or something along those lines. But they're probably not going to go to that more expensive product. Um, so that's something I'll continue to watch. They've obviously got their expansion plans globally. It's quite a, a diverse um, set of countries that they're exposed to these days. Uh, but they've also got a very large property portfolio underlying and underpinning the share price of Harvey Norman and underpinning that yield to some extent as well. So look, there are, look, it's not something I'll be buying given those macro headwinds, but once it does sort of fall 
towards the bottom end of its long-term trading range, you can definitely have a look at it. Yep. It's been a steady yield play for a long period of time and a safe pair of hands when you're looking at, at management and the way the business has performed over a few decades now. So you'd hold it? I mean, at the moment, I'll be tempted to sell. Okay. Um, I would look to probably buy it if it got around that $3, $3.20 mark. Um, because it is a very cyclical business and I just think we're going to enter the bad part of the cycle for a company like this. Fair enough. Um, Carl, yeah, further to Michael's point, I guess you'd expect those margins to moderate then ahead. Yeah, well, one way, another way you get uh, higher revenues and lower profits is if the, the price of the stuff you're selling uh, goes up and that's what we're experiencing right now. So we've got, you know, inflation running at six sort of seven percent. So your average um, TV isn't uh, getting as discounted as much as it was a couple of years ago. There aren't as many um, of those huge sales. So we're paying a little bit more, but obviously your costs are going up as well. So higher um, power. Think about well, when you walk into a Harvey Norman, all those wonderful big screen TVs are on uh, chewing up power. Um, you, you, you labor and 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 other you know various sort of input costs transport freight getting stuff on time so there's still lots of challenges i think for harvey norman but a commendable performance echoing uh, some of michael's comments there and it's cycling a big bump so it's no surprise to see some of those um you know uh, profit metrics and revenue uh, well profit metrics mainly coming off just a little bit I agree. Look, pretty solid. There's too much uncertainty in the outlook for me to get really excited about it. And it's not the cheapest stock anyway. So with a bit of a cloudy sort of macro picture, the valuation is not exciting. And then I get to the chart, which is kind of that third uh, tent peg, isn't it? And it's not exciting either. So I can just see, look, short term rally, don't get me wrong, but it's bumping up against some of those long term resistance zones here. Mm. And the candles I'm seeing since it got there are looking quite bearish. So I think um, there's a bit of sell the rally going on. And I think if you're, you know, if you're an active manager of your portfolio and you're looking for a better story with better growth and a better chart, maybe take advantage of this rally to sell like uh, some of those big investors are doing as well. So I'm going to go sell. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one we're going to take a look at is Fortescue. Jackie Wannington about this. Um, it, uh, of course, out with its results pretty much in line with expectations. Uh, interested uh, Goldman analysts um, saying they've uh, reiterated their sell rating on it, saying it's pretty much overvalued at this point. Just taking a look uh, today, uh, well, Fortescue along with BHP off around 3%. We've seen the iron ore price uh, come off as well. Carl, how are you looking at Fortescue? Yeah, I don't have Goldman's numbers to hand, but I can tell you the broker consensus. So I've got 18 brokers uh, commenting on this. So a huge, huge spread, widely covered. Eight, uh, no strong buys, no buys, eight holds, 10 sells, and one a strong sell. And I can honestly say I have never seen such a skew uh, to the sell side for any stock in my entire career. Normally, there's a few buys out there, but uh, to be so unanimously uh, skewed to the, the hold slash sell side is astonishing. The broker's average target is 16.21, and that's about 14 or uh, percent below where it is. Of course, we've got about a dollar fifty, dollar sixty worth of fully frank dividends to come, so that mitigates that somewhat. Um, at Think Markets, our valuation is a bit lower again, so we're definitely in that overvalued camp for Fortescue on the basis that it is cycling those higher um, earnings from higher iron ore prices, and we're quite bearish on the iron ore price. Okay, so we we do think. 
there's there's got to be some negative surprises coming out of the China story, and that's going to have a negative impact on oil on prices. We're going to see them probably in the in the low 80s before too long. Uh, and you know, the, the the Fortescue earnings picture and this wonderful dividend uh, bonanza that investors have enjoyed that's very much in the rearview mirror now. So if you're still in that mindset as an investor of holding Fortescue because of these incredible double digit dividends and incredibly low PEs, a PE of five or six, that is what we call in the industry a value trap, okay? So those, uh, the E part of the equation is gonna come down and therefore the PE is going to go up. So you, you're gonna get more like a, a six or 7% dividend yield in the long run, still pretty good, mind you. And the PE is more like 12 or 13 when you look a few FYs out. Um, on the basis that we think it is overvalued, on the basis the chart doesn't look good either, mm -hmm. confirming our view there, I'm gonna go sell on Fortescue also. All right which is almost becoming consensus at this point, Michael. Are you it part of consensus. that? Maybe I should be counter-cyclical counter <laughs> here. And, and when everyone's negative, everyone's gonna rush back to one side of the other boat. Oh, sorry, from the other side of the boat. But I think it's hard to be too optimistic on Fortescue, um, just given the outlook, um, not only of falling iron ore prices and slowing demand, not only from China, but globally, but also the, the, the risks that costs continue to push higher across the mining space. So. Look, from our standpoint, it's, a, it's done a terrific job over the last decade getting the costs of production down. I think they might have the lowest costs of all the miners. Um, so that has been great, but it's unlikely that rate of cost um, reductions will continue going forward either. So the cost curve across the industry is flattening out. Um, the thing with Fortescue as well is that they do have an inferior quality iron ore relative to the likes of BHP and Rio, so their margins for each unit sold are lower. Um, they do have a few projects coming on stream. I think, what's the, the actual name of it here? They've got the, um, yeah, I think it's the Iron, Iron Bridge, Iron Bridge. Iron Bridge, Iron Bridge, Bridge. project. And yep. I think the numbers for that were downgraded in terms of the production outlook. So that was seen as a bit of a negative, I think, by the market. Um, so there's, there's a lot to consider um, for this company at the moment. And, and I think at the moment, just given the outlook and, and that risk reward trade-off, I'll be a seller as well. Yep, okay, that is, uh, you are with a the consensus then. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if others get on board. It is a double sell for Fortescue. All right, on to AUB Group. Milo wanting to know about this. It is the insurance broking group reporting uh, more than 13% lift in underlying net profits compared with a year ago, uh, and also looking at strong organic growth in its Australian broking and agencies. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, so we like AUB. Um, we also like Steadfast, um, both similar businesses that have a lot of the market share when it comes to insurance broking um, across the country. Um, the thing is across the industry in recent years, gross written premiums have been increasing at about sort of five to 10%. And the expectation is that those um, premium increases will continue in the near term and that will continue to support earnings growth. So they're not only growing organically with the existing um, business that they've got, but they have been doing a, a number of bolt-on acquisitions now for a while. Um, and it's a great way to, to generate, you know, financial engineer um, yourself, because what you're doing is you're buying a lot of private companies on a multiple of three or four or five times earnings and you're incorporating it into your business, which is trading on above 10 times. So there's a lot to like about these businesses. And whilst the industry remains fragmented, I think the roll-up strategy can continue for some time yet. Um, they've recently undertaken a, a large-scale acquisition uh, and they seem to be incorporating that quite nicely. That's the, the Tysers business. So 
Um, the report was very good. We continue to like the outlook for the space, so we'll happily have it as a hold. At the moment, it's very difficult to get too excited and, and buy anything, but we do prefer slightly um, steadfast group just because it is growing slightly quicker. Um, however, we do have clients that hold both. So yep. I would have a hold on both of them, but I wouldn't be rushing out and buying on any significant weakness, you know, 15, 20%, you can definitely look at picking it up. Okay. Carl? I think we're singing from the same hymn book here, <laughs> Michael and I. Uh, we like it very well. What I like about the business is they really, they're an insurance broker, right? So they're not actually... Uh, providing the insurance itself necessarily. It's just uh, just finding a, 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 an insurance provider for, for your customer, like you know, your big corporates, you've got your, your PI insurance, your, your plant and equipment, your, your business insurance, all that sort of stuff. And here's the thing, obviously, um, a lot of these premiums have gone up. So the underlying insurance companies are jacking up their premiums uh, and it tends to cause you to want to shop around a bit more. And that's when you need the services of someone like AUB. Uh, we also like Steadfast as well. That's a really nice chart. Go check that out, ticker code SDF. But I think AUB has got a little bit more sort of, um, what's the right word, uh, sizzle about it on the chart, Andrew. So uh, I'd say this one's a slightly better chart just from the, the looking at the candles and the, and the move. It's had a really nice move um, off those lows, far stronger than, say, uh, Harvey Norman, if you're going to compare the uh, apples with apples there. Um, so I think there's a bit of upside in the valuation. We've got a fair value target of 24.14 because there's some nice growth in the business. You're looking about 13% compound annual growth rate for the next uh, four years or so. And that is solid growth compared to the market average is sort of, sort of mid, you know, five, six, seven percent. So very impressive, but you don't want to pay too much for it. So at the moment you're paying, uh, let me look at my notes here, about uh, 21 times earnings, which for that growth, I think is okay. You've got a 3% fully franked uh, dividend yield. So, and the chart's good. So tick, 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 tick. I'm happy to go buy if you're maybe not so fussed about your entry price, but you know, I think a pullback, it's had a good run. It's, so maybe a little bit of a pullback like what Michael was saying, you mm -hmm. might get it, you know, just, uh, I'll give you a level actually, just uh, if you're looking for a pullback level. So if you can get it maybe around that sort of 21 to 21.50, uh, that's the support level there. So nice trend, buying yep. a pullback in that nice trend. Good one. Okay. On to uh, Arnold Leisure. Denny wanted to know about this. Uh, it did sell its uh, main event entertainment business to Dave & Buster's in the States. And following that, saying it's going to be solely focused on its Australian theme parks. Business, of course, uh, was very much affected by COVID with those lockdowns, um, as we've seen with theme parks across the globe. Um, so looking to bounce back from there. Carl, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I'd like to take the kids out to, um, to some of these theme parks, actually. And what we're waiting for, Andrea, I don't know about you guys, but um, we're just waiting for this whole travel situation to settle down a bit. So we've got some confidence we're going to get to where we're going on time and our bags are going to meet us there as well. Um, so probably like many families, uh, you know, in a similar boat. Um, so I think there is a bit of pent up demand. I mean, we've had the pent up demand rush and that's what's causing part of the problem. But I think there's sort of this next wave uh, of people like me that will still uh, embrace these guys. And, um, you know, families are still very happy. Look at like their net promoter scores are, are way, way up. Um, the business is coming back. What they're still missing is that international traveller. So that's, a, that's um, about 20% uh, 
of their business. It's still missing. That's going to come back in. That's going to help them. But there's, it's, look, it's still a loss-making proposition at the moment. And it's going to take a few years to get back to the point where we're, we're, we're going to be back in profits and paying dividends and things like that. That's a bit, you know, two, three years away. Uh, in the meantime, the recovery, I think, is in place. The growth is going to be pretty reasonable. I don't mind this one. I think they got a good price for main event. It allowed them to pay off all their debt. So it's debt-free. They own all the land that they're sitting on. I think that's important as well. I like the chart. It's uh, the chart. <laughs> okay, look at that chart. That's a doozy. <laughs> so that bit in the middle is their um, capital distribution. So they returned what was about 90 cents, Michael, will know the exact number, uh, to shareholders from the main event sale. If you, if you adjust the chart for that, so you, you remove that, you remove the end bit back up to where it was, it's a really, really nice chart. Bottom left, top right. It's been a regular in my um, Twitter shortlist every day. Uh, so I'm happy to go buy on Ardent Leisure. Mm, okay, all right. Uh, Michael, he's put you on the spot. Yeah. I've got I've got the the bulk numbers there. So basically, they sold the main event business for eight hundred and thirty five million US, um, of which they retained one hundred and fifty three million. So the rest was just given back to shareholders, and yep. hence the big drop in share price. Um, they've retained some of that money to continue to to reinvest back in the business and look for different growth opportunities. Um, interestingly, their EBITDA and revenue numbers seem to have recovered to pre COVID levels, despite. Um, the fact that international visitors still make up like 0.1%, point, yeah, 0.1%, that's it, of their, of their visitors when pre-COVID it was up around the 20, as Carl just pointed out. So this business is on a bit of a recovery path. Obviously, there was the large tragedy um, going back a number of years, which over time will fade into, into the memory for a lot of people. And um, that's just how these things are. And I do think the fact that they have exited that business in the US um, will give them more streamlined focus going forward and has obviously got all that debt off the balance sheet. Um, look, long-term theme parks I still think will be around, but there is a lot of competition, not only in theme parks on the Gold Coast, but just from different technologies as they emerge. Um, they're not perhaps as exciting as they once were relative to other technologies that are out there. So that is something to be careful of on a very long-term basis. In the short-term, you can make a case as a buyer, but it's typically not the type of business that we would invest in. Um, it does have sort of low returns on, on capital and fairly low margins. So for us, it's not a buy. I wouldn't make it a sell. It is trending quite nicely. So if you hold it, you can continue to hold. Um, otherwise, I'll just sit on the fence. Yep, fair enough. Okay, uh, let's move on to the L1 Long Short Fund. Steve wanted to know about this. Um, he's after the view of our experts. Michael, there's a diversified portfolio of long and short positions, as it, yes. the name suggests. <laughs> Look, it's um, L1. They're a very good fund manager. Some very smart guys are part of that business with a, a decent long-term track record. Um, this particular listing came on the market, I think, probably four or five years ago now with a lot of fanfare and then initially disappointed off the bat. And because it is a listed investment company, it can often trade at a big discount to NTA. They've done a good job in closing that discount, but it still remains at a discount of roughly 10%. Um, they have demonstrated an ability to deliver uh, wonderful downside capture numbers and good upside capture numbers. So basically when the ASX drops, um, I think about a, yeah, when the ASX drops about 3%, they only drop about 0.2%. And when the market rallies 3%, they rally along with the market 3%. So they do have a, a long-term track history of outperforming the market. Um, they, have, they offer you know, the investor that downside protection, although you do have to always monitor their net exposure. So that's basically their long positions 
minus their short positions because they do have a lot of discretion to, to, to move that around um, depending on how they're viewing the markets. But I can see why people would be interested in this business. It's not something we hold for every client across the board, but for those clients looking for a very diversified portfolio of different strategies, um, you can make a case for something like this in the portfolio. Another similar um, company is the RF1, the Regal Long Short Fund, uh, but that's more of a fund of funds model, but they've also had some decent performance over the years as well. But I'm happy to give it a buy, um, so long as it's, that's the sort of thing you're looking for. Um, as part of a, a broadly diversified portfolio, you can definitely make a reason to hold something like this. Okay, Carl. Yeah, I agree. Again, uh, I love the way Michael phrased that last bit. You know, if, if that's what you're looking for, mm. then it, it does fit within a diversified portfolio because they're going to do a lot of that hard work for you. So uh, I love the long and short because that's very much, you know, it speaks to the way I invest as well. I want to, you know, find the strongest trends, you know, the, the best value I can find within those uh companies and be long those and then look at the worst ones and be short those as well. Um, so, you know, obviously think markets, we, we offer clients CFD trading. So you can actually go short and build that long short portfolio yourself. Now, if you don't want to have the responsibility of figuring out what to buy and then what to short, you, you could go to these guys. But I think just to add to some of uh, Michael's comments, I, I think you need to understand the style. So they're very much a value investing style. Um, they're really good at communicating that with their um, their client or, or fund um, investors as well. So they've got regular webinars, and I was watching a few of them, and I was you know I was sort of um, you know you know, gelling with what they were saying on markets, and I kind of like some of their macro analysis as well. So it's really really interesting. But what they do is they tell you what they're in, they tell you why they're in it, they tell you where they think the macro picture is going. Now, right or wrong, they could be completely wrong, and you know fund goes down, right? But at least they're keeping you informed. They're giving that ability to take some ownership of your strategy, and then choose some somebody that that fits that strategy. So if that's you. And, and you like what they're saying, then I'm happy to, to buy it on that basis. For me, though, I mean, that's not my style. My style is to go and find that stuff myself, right? Or put it in front of my clients so they can uh, be more active. That's that's think markets where we've got active clients. So on that basis, it's not my cup of tea. I, I, don't, I won't go a sell on that basis, but I'm just worried about the chart. I think the chart's turning the corner, about to have a bit of a downtrend here. So uh, purely on a technical basis, I'd say sell. Okay. All right. Well, there's a diversity of. So I've, I've actually said. I've actually said buy. I've said buy, hold, and sell in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have indeed. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> Are you contradicting yourself? Uh, well, maybe yes, not. Yes, absolutely. Well, we're talking about diversity. You've got it right there, haven't you? Okay. Let's get uh, into the resources space. Comet Ridge. Tracy wanting about this uh, has the development of gas resources on the east coast. Its uh, flagship project is the Mahalo Gas Hub, uh, located in central Queensland. And uh, well, we know it's been going on with gas, of course, but it's one thing to uh, produce it, but you, if you're an explorer in the space at the same time, it's a long uh, runway there. Carl, how are you looking at this one? Yeah, mahalo, Andrew. It's the Hawaiian welcome, isn't it? Uh, welcome to gas in Queensland. Welcome to uh, exploring, appraising, and not making any money. Welcome to uh, burning a lot of cash while you do it. But you know they, they're kind of the the the, the downsides. The, the upside is look they've got some they are building their reserves. Uh, I think they've got something commercial there. Uh, everything's looking good for them to be able to uh, supply gas to the Queensland government. So the Queensland government gave them a, a parcel of land a few years ago, and said you know sort of do your worst sort of thing. But you are contracted to us. You need to sell anything you find back to us. 
Uh, having said that, gas prices are on the rise on the East Coast and there is a structural shortage and that structural shortage is getting bigger and bigger. So if you're on the East Coast, you've got the gas and you can supply it, it's going to be a very lucrative proposition for you. So they own 70% of uh, this Mahalo venture. Guess who owns the other 30%, Andrew? Any ideas? Starts with S. Rhymes with Santos. Um, <laughs> Santos. Uh, and Santos have an option to actually increase their stake uh, and uh, we'll know whether they're going to do that by the end of December. And so far, there's, there's probably every reason they will because, um, you know, the production testing and the, and, the, and the reserve building is all going so well. Um, th this company does have quite a bit of debt, though, which they owe to Santos, which uh, if Santos increases that stake, will come down significantly. So there's a fair few moving parts here. Um, it could take a few years before they're at profitability. So you have to be able to go along for the journey. And what I say to um, viewers on the, the call every time I come on is, look, that's not such a bad thing if the momentum is there in the chart. So if people are still believing the story, they're embracing the story, they're getting on board, I always say follow that momentum. So there's a good story there. And if the chart matches up, then I'm happy to go on it. It's a speculative buy. It's a risk money sort of bet only to take advantage of this, this let's face it, burgeoning um, interest, uh, resurgence of interest in natural gas mm -hmm. uh, among Australian investors. So I'm happy to go buy. The chart's wonderful. Bottom left, top right. Yep. You know, high, high peaks, high troughs, white candles. It's brilliant. So I'm going to go buy. Okay. Michael, I'm probably not as familiar with this company as, as Carl is. He summed it up pretty well from the reading I've done. Um, but it was really the, the acquisition or, or the further increase in their stake a, um, a couple of months ago that really set the share price up 20%, I think it was, in a day. Um, they do have this resource uh, that hasn't really been drilled properly since the early 90s, uh, which suggests that there was some interest there in the past and there was some viability, but just never, never fully developed. Now with the funding from Santos, as well as another asset management group, that will give them sufficient capital to go out there and determine you know, if this is a, a viable long-term asset. But it is always good to go along with a partner such as Santos who has the pockets to support you through that process. But it is a very risky proposition because it's in the very, very early stages of exploration. They haven't even really started to, to properly explore. Um, and it's gonna take a lot of time before this is delivering or producing something to meet the market. So. Everyone is focused on natural gas at the moment. Everyone is concerned about the reliance on, on coal and, and the reliance on oil for energy. Um, so natural gas is getting tossed about as an alternative, at least as a temporary bridge until we get better, greener alternatives down the track. Um, but who knows what the market's gonna be feeling um, once mm. this eventually does come into production in the years to come, if it even makes production. So. You could have it as a, a speculative buy, but I'm just going to give it a, a hold again, just because, again, it's not something we would buy for clients, but I understand the, the speculative um, theory behind an investment in it. So I'm going to go a hold. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDFs. Yes, and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, let's uh, sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. Then we began with our stock of the day. Harvey Norman out with its results 
this morning, obviously in the retail space, which is proving to be difficult as time goes on in this um, current environment. Uh, Michael and Carl both uh, have a sell on it, although Michael is watching it for potentially to get in at a lower price. Our first stock as picked by you, Fortescue. It's a double sell. Um, Carl pointing out uh, he's pretty bearish on the iron ore price at this point, uh, saying it is a potential value trap there. AUB Group, uh, hold from Michael, but looking perhaps to uh, buy in that lower price, a buy from Carl. Uh, Ardent Leisure, a buy from Carl and a hold from Michael. Uh, the Long Short Fund, a buy from Michael, uh, saying, look, he points out that it is outperforming the market historically. Uh, Carl worries about that chart, just taking a look at it. He has a sell on it. And uh, Comet Ridge there in gas, a specky buy from Carl and something Michael wouldn't normally look at, but he's going to slap a hold on it. All right, that's our first five. Uh, now the call, of course, tracking its own high conviction fund, picked by our investment committee, the latest episode is live for you to watch at osbiz.com. Let's check in on the update there. Uh, into August, Ordinate was removed and Oz Minerals added. We also upped our Woodside holding. Uh, so its performance thus far, 3.3% uh, on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests and keep us switched on to see what the committee is going to be looking at next. Speaking of next, the second half of the show. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Paladin, Leo Lithium, Fluence, Car Sales and Cobram Estate Olives. So back into the resource space, Paladin um, and uh, Munia wanting to know about this. In fact, uh, Carl pointing the question directly at you. Can you please ask Mr. Carl Kavalinga, being very deferential, uh, views on that price movement. He said, I'm a holder with a price tag of 80 cents. It's currently at 83 Mm. Um, of course, it's also looking to restart its uranium production at Alanga Heinrich Mine in uh, Namibia, in Africa. And Carl, interesting, isn't it, with you look at the uranium space, uh, there are so many false dawns. Um, and I'm looking at that, the share price of Paladin over the past couple of years. I mean, it's pretty much tracking sideways at this point. Yeah, look, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that. So I'm part of a, a Twitter sphere of uh, uranium bulls, right, where we, we do get on. So I'm a bit of a uranium bull as well. And we get on, we, we chat about this. And there's it's a bit like, um, Andrew, it's a bit like my, my crypto um, interactions as well. <laughs> there's there's this, this uranium group that uh, just kind of every time the uranium price sort of ticks up or these stocks tick up, I tell you what, the, 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 the fervour that, that exists uh, is 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 um, amazing rocket ship emojis and everything and we're kind of on the verge now i think potentially of the the big one the big one andrew this might be part I of think it. I've paladin. Heard that <laughs> <laughs> Look, paladin is well placed to participate if that's the case because uh, like any sort of you know boom and we, we, we've done the lithium thing haven't we where mm. there was this structural um uh, under uh, investment and this you know this big demand picture out, out in the future and they kind of came together and then prices went bizarre. Zerg. you know lithium bulls are hoping uh, lithium bulls there for par the uh, the uranium bulls are hoping for the same situation to occur because if you look at the um sort of demand supply dynamics for uranium going out from say uh, 2026 to 2030 there is going to be a major um uh, supply 
uh, deficit there because of this significant un um, underinvestment over the last 10 years since Fukushima. So since Fukushima, Japan shut down uh, about 80, 90% of their reactors. Uh, subsequent to that, Germany said, we're going to phase out all of ours. They just reiterated that, by the way. France is going to wind down. Uh, there was less investment potentially also in the US. Now, fast forward to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a lot of things are flipping on its head. Natural gas prices, which was supposed to be the, you know, the, big, the big hope um, in terms of plugging uh, energy uh, supply one, until we can get to renewables, uh, gas prices have gone through the roof. So it's all back on uh, nuclear as being that great stopgap solution. It's far cleaner. I know we could have a long argument about that, whether it is or isn't. It's cleaner than your fossils, and it's a, it's perfect for baseloads. Currently supplies about 10% of the world's energy, uh, so it's still, you know, it's off a low base. Um, a lot of the uh, big um, uh, utility companies, they have been drawing down on their stockpiles, okay? So you haven't seen um, that supply deficit or that looming supply deficit hit the price yet. It's it's come up to about 50, it was about 30 about 12 months ago. So that's a good start. It's been going sideways since then. But they're drawing down their stockpiles and they're getting to, to towards the pointy end of having to replenish. And that means going back to the uranium market. So long story short, Paladin is one of those ones you want to look at. Boss Energy is another one which could get back into production pretty quick. So uh, Paladin is a Namibian asset, Manga Heinrich, which they own a 75% interest in. Uh, Boss Energy is a local asset based in South Australia. If you want to go for other ones, which probably could get into production in the next couple of years, Bannerman is another option, uh, Deep Yellow. Explorers, 92 Energy is my key pick of the Explorers, um, ticket code uh, 92E. Uh, and I'm forgetting one. Let me check my notes. I shouldn't forget this. Um, Elevate. Elevate is more of an advance that they've got a resource. So I've given you a whole tour right. of the uranium sector just there. Yeah. I'm happy to go uh, go uh, a buy on Paladin if you've got a big picture uh, thinking sort of uh, bias here. So it's it's not your, your core holding. Yeah. It's your risk money, speculative, but understand what you're getting because it might not be this time around, Andrew. Yeah, you mentioned Bannerman. I think it was up 20% yesterday, along with Alligator, which was up a similar yeah, they're amount all up, at the same They're time. all up about 20, 20% on the back of that Japan announcement. Yep. Japan looked to potentially restart those nuclear reactors. All right. Michael, are you bullish in that space? Uh, very comprehensive from Carl. We <laughs> do have um, certain clients because of the risky nature, um, not all clients, um, but we definitely have clients exposed to it because of that long-term thematic that Carl talks to. Uh, we kind of do see it like the, a new lithium uh, in, in many respects, and given that there's been years and years of underinvestment ever since the Fukushima disaster. Um, so slowly but surely, you're starting to see production come online, but you can't just flick the switch with a lot of these mines. It does take a while. Um, Paladin had been in production for a long period and has produced a lot of uranium in the past. They did end up closing the mine um, in 2018. Um, but now, um, with the, the focus on a clean energy future, many people believe that uranium is going to have to be in the mix, mm. um, given it is a very efficient source of clean energy. Um, at least many people believe that. So we think it's worth a, a speculative buy in the space, and it's a matter of picking the companies that you think can deliver that. Paladin is probably the most established with a very large-scale asset, which has had a history of production. Um, the other one is Boss Energy um, that also Carl touched upon. We think they're two businesses that you could have in your portfolio. Make sure you keep the weights fairly small because they can be very volatile and move around a lot. But if this thematic does come off, as many people are predicting, then the returns can be outsized. Yeah. Um, so again, it's a speculative part of the portfolio, but we do believe in the long-term thematic. And 
Paladin and, and Boss, even to a better extent, have demonstrated to be very efficient uh, users of capital, and, and they do have a good story playing out for them. All right. Well, fortuitously, I mean, you mentioned um, comparisons there with mm -hmm. lithium. Let's go there because that's our next stop. Leo Lithium. Uh, Mick wanted to know about this, uh, wanted to know if it's a buy, hold or sell. Uh, it did. It's only recently listed, in fact, but it has uh, already inked a joint venture partner with Gangfeng to fund the development of a lithium project in Mali. So, Michael, what are your thoughts then on Leo? I haven't really come across uh, Leo in the past, but I am familiar with the with the broader space, but this is very much a, an, an exploration company that's looking to get into production. So they do have a pretty large resource, um, but they have to get the funding, or they've just recently got the funding for that development phase, which will take time. Um, the the, the long-term thematic for lithium um, is very attractive, at least it, it appears so on the face of it. Um, for instance, in Europe, about, I think it's 9% of new vehicles are electric-based. They're looking to get that up to 70% by 2030. Then there's also the storage capacity of the grid, um, which will require battery technologies into the future, which will in turn require lithium. And that's looking to increase by 20 times by 2030 in Europe alone. So the, the long-term thematic definitely makes sense. It just depends on the supply story, whether the supply story will catch up to the demand or whether there's gonna be a supply deficit. So it depends on who you listen to. On one side of the fence, You've got Goldman Sachs, um, who expect that China's lithium production will ramp up, although they do have an inferior quality of lithium, but it will ramp up and close that gap between demand and supply. Uh, whereas others like Macquarie, who only came out last week or even the week before, um, basically increased their forecast price for lithium by 55% next year and over 100% the year after. So there are two sides to the camp, and depending on which side of the camp you're on will determine whether you think lithium is a good investment. Um, we do have some very good established producers in the country, um, Alkeem and Pilbara, who are well and truly into production. Uh, AKE's got a long, long development pipeline of projects to come online, which will further boost their production. Then obviously you can go down to these businesses, um, such as Leo Lithium, that are in the earlier phases. The problem is, can someone like Leo come to market and be producing quickly enough to capitalise on the high prices which are available at the moment. Because the prices that AKE and PLS are, have been getting this year compared to last year are four times higher than where they were last year. So they're producing, they're here in the now, and they're delivering great cash flows off the back of that. And that enables them to fund their expansion projects without having to use debt or, or tap the market for more equity. So we'll prefer to play it a bit safer at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, Core Lithium is another one we do have a little bit of for clients, and I think Carl's pretty familiar with that one too. But we're just sticking with the established players primarily because we don't feel the need um, to go up the risk curve at the moment. Okay, so so Leo Lithium for me is too high risk, and I'll just give it a sell and just rotate that money to some of those more established names All right. or Core Lithium if you want a bit more excitement in your life. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Carl, then, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't know if I'd go a sell. I think it's a hold. So, look, everything Michael says is correct. You want your producers. These guys, a minimum two years. Like, if everything went absolutely perfect, including finding another US $130 million to pay the, for the CapEx to build uh, this this mine, it's, it's two years minimum. And that is a very, very um, uh, hopeful, uh, you know, 
estimate there. So it could be longer. So where's the lithium price going to be in, in two to three years? Uh, who can say? But it is a massive deposit. The other downside for me, it's in Mali, you know, uh, and there's potentially issues with that. Or somebody will shout at me and say, no, Mali's the safest uh, mining jurisdiction on the planet. I doubt it. Uh, I like. I see this is probably pretty similar to Lion Town, uh, where we've. But Lion Town is fully funded to production. Production's 2024, not nearly as far out. Maybe that's a better way to go if you want to go for, go for one that's sort of getting to production. Otherwise, look, you know, we're lucky in Australia. We've got the cream of the crop. Your mineral resources, your IGOs, your all chems. Uh, you know, are still uh, a, a Pilbara, uh, obviously, is the other place to go there. So mm. um, including Liontown would be my top five. Core might be my top six. You know, it, I'd have to keep going. Leo would be uh, probably a ways down the list for the reasons I said. I don't think it's a sell, though. I think it's a hold. Yep. In the right environment, it can do pretty well. Follow the chart. The chart looks, looks half decent. There's some momentum there, so I'll go hold. Yep, okay. Yeah, of course. I mean, there are so many other battery metals to consider. There the are so time, many like others Graphite, so nickel, many. aluminium. <laughs> Copper, Graf- cobalt. Sierra yeah, Resources looks really good at the moment. That's why are. There's a bonus buy. All right. Let's push on then. Uh, next one, Fluence. Josh wanted to know about this. And once again, Carl, he's pointing the question initially at you, saying the last time it was covered, the technicals appeared to be favourable. Is this still the case or did it just triple bottom? Uh, the technicals are okay. Uh, and if for so people who don't know what Fluence is, we should, uh, you know, show the company some respect, tell you what they do. So it's all about uh, wastewater treatment, desal. um, It's water uh, solutions, basically. Uh, They are the biggest in this space. So according to the company, they've got 95% of the global market. Um, That's pretty impressive. Uh, And they have some uh, really interesting solutions. So very modular sort of um, drive it out on a flatbed truck, uh, you know, put it down, and then it starts to treat your wastewater in your, um, you know, your far-flung, uh, village in the middle of Africa or China. China's China, big, yeah, it's actually um, got a couple yeah. of contracts in China, hasn't it? Yeah. So that's the big that's the big growth area for them at the moment. Southeast Asia, they're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about the Caribbean, Africa. So, uh, but apart from that, they've also got desal. Um, uh, again, it's this container. It, you drop it out there, and it starts to desalinate water. So, water security only going to become more important. So, bigger picture, right? They're, they're the dominant player in a space that is only going to become more and more important as we go. They're getting some traction on the revenue side, but I think they're very small. I think they're probably flying under the radar of a lot of funds, uh, and maybe that's why they're not seeing the share price sort of reflecting some of the success that they're having. At the end of the day, as much, as good as I think a company is, I still can't then tell clients to buy it unless the price is going up. Because at the end of the day, that is how you make money. You sell for a higher price than you bought it for. And I need the market momentum to be there. So it's not quite there. I can go a hold on the basis that I think they're doing some great things. But I don't think I could say uh, for a new uh, new money coming in to just buy it like today sort of thing. But I'm keeping an eye on it. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, very interesting business. One of those companies that you want uh, desperately to succeed because what they're doing yep. is just so, so wonderful. But at the moment, the problem is it's just burning cash um, and it needs to sort of win more contracts to become profitable. Um, and I think in time, it potentially can. Although if you're going to really be an investor in this business, you have to try and understand if there are competitors and, and what the competitors are doing that might be different or might challenge a company like this. But on the face of it, it does seem like a, a very good product that they are able to deliver. Uh, they have been traditionally focused on China, but they are broadening out their geographical exposure. 
Um, effectively, it's like a series, a set of lungs for the water that clears out all the dirt and all the filth and all the nitrogen, which is a big issue for a lot of wastewaters. Um, it's a far cheaper water, water purifying technique than say desalination as well. Um, so there's a lot of environment, environmental benefits uh, to be had for this, but as I mentioned, they are burning through cash at the moment. Um, they, it uses, um, I think, 90% less energy than desalination as well, I think it was. So yeah. very impressive metrics looking at that. They can operate with you know, different parts of industry from councils to airports to local villages. So there's lots of uses for it. So if they can continue to deliver um, a, a good set of contracts and some good news flow, I think eventually the market will have to sit up and take notice. But at the moment it is burning through cash. It's, it's got, you know, it's gonna have to keep raising money by the looks of it, mm. unless they can come up with some sort of strategic partnership. But happy to have it on the watch list, but I'm not gonna give it a buy. Yep. Um, I'm happy to give it a hold just cause I'm gonna will it and hope it to do well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but I do like the story. Fair enough. All right. Uh, we better put our foot down because we're running out of time. And uh, to do that, we're going to jump in the car with car sales. Uh, Alex, wanting to know about this. Um, Michael, of course, seems everyone wants a car at the moment, whether it's an electric car or a used car, and those prices are ridiculous at the moment. Yeah. Um, so what are you seeing the prospects then for car sales? Uh, it was a, a very good year. Um, demonstrated its counter-cyclical nature of the business. Um, obviously, um, it's done very, very well. It's been growing its earnings um, very nicely. Essentially for the last decade, it was growing earnings at around 9% per annum. They're expected to grow earnings for the next three years or so from 12 to 15%. So there's a lot to like. They're seeing big growth in dealership numbers as well, in their dealer sales. Um, so a high quality business, as it's getting older, it's actually growing quicker. Um, the fact is they are now really well and truly dominate that space. The old fashioned newspaper articles and etc. no longer cut it. So everyone's really directing their marketing spend towards car sales. There is a slight caveat to that and you do have to continue to monitor the impact of social media, people selling things via the different social platforms. So, but by and large, we like this company, happy to have it as a buy. Um, although we are cautious that uh, new, new car sales and, and car sales, secondhand car sales in general might start to taper off after a big uplift during COVID. Yep. Okay, and people think twice about spending at the moment. That's it. Carl? We've lost you there. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I, had some, I had some noise outside the yeah. window, so I wanted to cut it out. What okay. I was saying is that, uh, look, I'm also concerned about, you know, general macroeconomic outlook, but being at sort of highly focused on that second hand market as well, you do find that if the economy does worse, that second hand market takes off as well. So it's not just um, the exposure they have here, but also South Korea, Brazil, and they just bought that uh, Trader Interactive in the US, which is a massive, massive marketplace for everything, not just cars, but your, your, anything from your jet ski to, to the equipment you use in your, in your workshop sort of stuff. Um, so second hand markets do well in tough economic times. 
And I think that's going to help them. Um, I like the growth outlook here. It's just the price you're paying for it. So we talked about Ausbiz, uh, coincidence, 13% uh, compound annual growth rate for the next four years predicted, trading at about 20 times earnings. This one's trading about 25 times earnings for the same growth rate. So, you you know, for like-for-like like basis, you'd say, well, car sales is a little bit more overvalued or fairly valued in our opinion. So we've got a fair value target pretty much here. Having said that, the chart looks good. I, I actually think the chart looks really good here. Lots of demand coming in in that 21 to 22 zone. And I can tell that because there's a bunch of white candles. So viewers should go look at this chart uh, using Japanese candlesticks and see this huge cluster of white candles come in here. That is accumulation. That is fund buying. That is algorithmic buying in the system. So on that basis, uh, on the basis I do like the business, I can go buy on car sales. All right. That is a double buy, obviously one for the uh, investment committee to consider. Let's round it out with Olives and uh, Rowan wanting to know about Cobram Estate. Olives, um, Carl, obviously, it's a potentially difficult area, isn't it? Because in ag, where you're at the mercy of nature, basically. Look, you are, and I know we're, we're broken records. I do watch the call very regularly, Andrew, and I know we, us experts get on here, we talk about ag stocks and say, well, there's the next drought is, you know, the next season away or there's a flood or whatever. And look, they are beholden somewhat to that, particularly on their US operations where, um, you know, they're, they're struggling to get olive oil in California because of the weather conditions there. So that was a drag on their profits this year round. Having said that, the Australian harvest is going very, very well. So it's a very tricky company to analyse because you've got this sort of... Um, uh, two-year cycle on the uh, olive oil production because uh, if you've got olive trees, I've got plenty of them uh, in my yard here, they produce a bumper crop every second year. Um, having said that, uh, I do like the business. I think, you know, it, it vertically integrated, control the whole supply chain. In Australia, they've got half the half the market dominant player here, um, trying to replicate in the US. So lots of potential. It's also very much a value play. They're trading at pretty much their net tangible asset backing, and that's only going to grow as their olive um, grows mature. So there's lots and lots to like. I just need the chart to line up. It's starting to do that a little bit more than it was last time I was on the, on the show. Last time I said, I like the business, chart looks horrible. Mm. But because I like the business so much, I'll go hold. I'm still going to go hold. I'm not yet at a buy, even though that chart's picking up. Let me see just one more pullback, one more higher trough, and then I could probably go uh, to a buy. But I'm going to go hold for today. All right. Meanwhile, you're obviously going to rely on your own olive trees. Did you say you've got them in your own backyard? <laughs> I've got a few. I've got a few at home. Yeah, because uh, being a capolingua, that's yeah, that's about as an Italian name as you get. So <laughs> it's a you've got to have your olive trees. Yeah, no, you, you, you get your olives you, and you make your own olives. So they're, they're, <laughs> Sounds good, good to olives. me. Uh, you should be selling those. Um, all right, Michael. Um, yeah, it's, look, if a client or an investor wanted agribusiness, this I think is up there. Um, they are very vertically integrated. Half of the market share when it comes to olive oil, but they got about 75% of the market share when it comes to the olive crop in Australia. So they're in a, a very dominant position. Um, it is a fairly recent listing, but I think their product's very good. I know it's not an infomercial, but it's definitely something that I'm familiar with. Um, their, their crop as well for this year in Australia in particular has been very, very strong. Um, so that's pro these things are probably contributing to the fact that the share price is moving higher. Their market share as well has been increasing close to 10%. So they are in a very, very dominant position, but we are cautious of that cyclical nature. Um, and for that reason, we, would never, we wouldn't have it as a buy. Um, we'd have it as a hold, if you like, at the moment towards a sell. But I'll go for a hold because the trend looks all right and it does seem to have turned a corner after a tough period. All right. Okay. That's a double hold then 
on Cobra Behold Your Olives. Let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. Uh, we began in the resource space there with uh, Paladin, Uranium. Um, Carl acknowledging he is a Uranium bull, uh, also likes Boss, but he's got a buy on it. Um, and Michael has a specky buy on it. And Leo Lithium comparisons made there, which is where both the sectors are going at the moment. Um, Michael has a sell on it. Um, perhaps looking at too speculative, he's preferring the likes of Pilbara, Allchem, or even uh, Core. And Carl has a hold on it. And Fluence, a hold from Carl, and a watch with a hold from Michael. Car sales, a double buy from both. And Finally, Cobram Estate there, a double hold. All right, thanks to our guests. Carl, thanks for joining us in Think Markets. Enjoy your olives. Thanks for having me, Andrew. What a fascinating bunch of stocks we had today. Absolutely. Well done, on curating them. Yeah, all right. And Michael, thanks for joining us no, from no Downing Financial. Good to be What here. are you growing in your backyard? Weeds. <laughs> Not those sort of weeds. Not those ones. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into some of those stocks later, perhaps. All right. Uh, now, of course, that is the show for today. Thanks to our guests. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at ausbiztv. And a reminder, you can find those stocks in the course portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thanks for watching.